Hello, this is Robert Rivenbart, the author of The Cloud, and I am with Brad here today on Awakened Nation, uh, hoping to wake up some uh, present and future readers. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalas, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Robert, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, my friend. How about yourself? We're both two Irish dudes, so hey. I know. It doesn't get any better than that. If my mom hadn't married my stepfather, my last name would be Dooley. So I'd be Bradley Dooley, you know, (laughs) a fine Irish name, (laughs) a fine Irish name. There you go. My mom's uh, uh, maiden name was Jenkins. And I also on my father's side have the McQuaigs. Oh, wow. uh, I'm Celtic all the way, all the way. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the melodic tones and the voice of Robert Rivenbark. Um, he uh, he wrote this extraordinary uh, science fiction novel, and I had to have him on the show because, um, honestly, Robert, it 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 harkens of a Philip K. Dick novel. It it's got that Johnny Mnemonic kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's got um, all these great things in it, and and we're. We're crossing in from today's generation into what the future could hold when it comes to virtual reality. So mm-hmm. I had to have you on the show, man. Uh, oh, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a great novel. I got a chance to start to read it, and it really draws you in. So I, okay. I want our listeners to really get a chance to meet you. So welcome to the show officially. <laughs> My pleasure. I'm honored, Brad. Thanks. And where are you right now? I'm in Atlanta, GA where it is a beautiful, uh, not quite cold, but cool spring day, and the azaleas are in bloom. Yeah, I've lived in in Georgia, right, and in Atlanta, just for 30 days. I was working on a uh, corporate event. I used to do corporate shows, you know, big screen stuff. And uh, I couldn't believe it. it was only like 56 degrees in the middle of winter when I was there. Yeah, And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this is incredible. So, well, let's kick things off. I want, I want to read your bio a little bit because um, okay. you've done some extraordinary things here. Um, Robert, it's Rivenbark, right? It is. And you're the, you're, I think you're the first interviewer uh, to pronounce that correctly. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Rivenbark's novel, The Cloud, won first place in the science fiction category in the San Antonio Writers Guild 27th Annual Writing Contest in February of 2019. It was published in August of 2022 from Story Merchant Books. It's both in softcover and and in Kindle. Uh, He subsequently secured exclusive representation from Hollywood literary manager Ken Achity of the Story Merchant and Achity Productions. The novel is in development as a TV series with Ken Achity, Robert will expand the cloud into a novel trilogy, also suitable for screen adaptation. I was going to ask you because it 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 does feel like it could be a movie and a movie yeah. of the week, you know, or miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this. Robert earned a master's degree in creative writing with Antioch University after winning a full academic scholarship 
to study for two years in Oxford and London, England, based on his award-winning short story collection. His experience there gave him a global perspective as a storyteller. He returned to the U.S. for a career in journalism and advertising and worked as a senior copywriter and video producer for some of America's most prestigious advertising agencies and Fortune 500 companies, including IBM, Panasonic, Allergen, Experian, Jones Lang, LaSalle, Kimberly Clark, Home Depot, and Biosense Webster, a division of Johnson & Johnson. We have a lot in common, my friend. Oh, uh, um, additionally, Robert has co-written a featured psychological thriller with Elizabeth Rocket and has been tapped by Atchity to co-write two other epic historical series. I look forward to this. Your career is taking off, man. Well, Ladies you. and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Robert Rivenbark. Thank you so much, Brad. It's, 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 it's delightful to be here and I am deeply honored. You're welcome. So let's dig in, man. You wrote The Cloud, and uh, I love this novel because I'm I'm a science fiction junkie. Okay, so mm -hmm. I've read everything from Robert Heinlein to you know Jules mm -hmm. Verne's to mm -hmm. uh, and my favorite author who wrote Dune, Frank Herbert uh, himself. And you have a technique that Frank Herbert used. He never wastes dialogue or a word. Everything is almost packed into perfection. And I want everybody to go look this up, thecloudnovel.com. And it's a speculative fiction novel. And what I like about this is in chapter one, uh, I, I want to start here. You said something incredibly powerful, and I had to laugh because I want to ask if art imitates real life, because this is where you talk about the cloud, you know, this virtual reality cloud and the founding fathers. And this first paragraph really hit me. It's a man's world again, echoed a sad voice from his childhood, his mother's. She'd been a published novelist before virtual reality entertainment replaced books. After Blaze's father had abandoned them, her career had collapsed. Her only relief were childcare payments, cheap wine, and memories of a misty golden time that had been totally eclipsed only after the caliphate had dirty bombed Western capitals and the cloud corporation patriarchy seized power. I love that. This is this is a cadence to how you write. So let's start there because I love that because we truly mm -hmm. are right here, right now in this crossover period where virtual reality and gaming is taking over. Let's start there. Yeah, it, it's, um, th there were several, uh, there were th several threads that uh, generated this novel. Uh, the first is my eight and a half years in LA working mm -hmm. in advertising for some of the top agencies and fortune 500s in uh, both biotech and IT. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gave me the wherewithal to uh, dare to explore those two areas, even though I'm not a programmer and I'm not, I don't have medical training. And that was number one. Number two was uh, I returned to Atlanta. And my and my hometown in 2015 and worked for three years at Jones Lang LaSalle, a Fortune 500 commercial real estate company that is building cities of the future for 70 in 75 countries. And what didn't sit well with me is that those those cities are being built for the top 10 percent only. Mm. And the master plan is everybody else lives in a ghetto. Number yep. three, I started uh, 
uh, reading futurist books, and there was one written by a gentleman named uh, Yuval Noah Harari called Homo Deus. That's H-O-M-O-D-E-U-S. He is an Oxford-educated historian uh, from Israel who posits in this book what the uh, 21st century could look like, and he believes that the great quest of the top 1% is to attain personal immortality in this life. Mm -hmm. And he claims, and I can't substantiate this, so don't sue me, but he claims in this book that the uh, two founders of Google are uh, spending millions upon millions of dollars right now to develop biotech uh, technology, uh, medical, uh, you know, drugs that you can take and other things, artificial uh, organs, all of which can be then blended together to give them personal immortality. Mm. And where does that live the rest of us? Exactly. Uh, plus, I've done a, a ton of research in AI and discovered that uh, if you if you listen to Elon Musk's very frightening uh, prophetic speech on YouTube, where he talks about the fact that within the next 10 to 15 years, 50% of all professions will be obsolete. AI will be performing those tasks for us. Uh, and so I took all of that, plus I had a, a love affair that went south with a lovely lady from Taiwan when I was in L.A., uh, classical violinist and, and vocalist. And I split her into two characters, Mitsuko, the femme fatale, and Christina, who is the uh, uh, female protagonist. And uh, had a lot of fun with that. It, it was therapeutic for me. And it, I, I worked through my, my, uh, my grief about losing that relationship. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it played into the story well, because through her and other folks that I got to know, I really wrapped my head around Asian culture mm. and uh, learned a lot about it. And it didn't really exist for me until I lived in L.A. where, you know, you've got four or five million folks from China, Japan, yeah. uh, South Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, you name it. So that was kind of the genesis of this. That's interesting. You and I have a hell of a lot in common. My girlfriend's from uh, Vietnam. And, Get out uh, of town. <laughs> no. <laughs> And uh, she was really happy that I wasn't one of these weirdos who was obsessed with Asian women, you know, but the only thing Asian <laughs> in my house is, house is, you know, I spent some time training in uh, Kempo Jiu Jitsu and, you know, I, I appreciate the Asian culture. Uh, but uh, you are connecting the dots in a lot of ways. Uh, when I read, when I wrote my first book, Liquid Leadership, the mm -hmm. subtitle was From Woodstock to w Wikipedia multi-generational management ideas that are changing the way we run things i like you started to look at the future and say oh my god if we don't wake the hell up things are really going to shift fast and i started trying to figure out i was running a dot-com company at the time and i couldn't figure out why my employees were acting so damn weird okay and mm -hmm. and today it's common they you know they'll quit en masse a lot of young people uh, there was a pharmaceutical company where they, they brought in uh, 90 interns or whatever, a hundred interns. And they, they got to work for them for 90 days. And they thought this was a great gift for these young people. And then they would hire probably 25 of them at the end. Well, they quit all of them after 30 days. And they said, you people are evil. 
Um, <laughs> this is a new generation and I couldn't yeah. figure it out. And I finally did when I wrote my, my book, Liquid Leadership. And here's what I found. And I'll show you. I'll give you a visual prop here. Please. You and I were raised with these devices, <laughs> the yes. GAF Viewmaster. <laughs> that was the most interactive thing we had. I and, the next, and the next generation was raised with this, a Nintendo 64 controller. So do you think our brains might be a little bit different? And I think what happened is you're writing this book. You started to see the next wave of this change. Oh. And this next wave of this change boils down to now we have a virtual world that you and I, uh, maybe as boomers, cannot see. You know, it's not, it's not here. You know, you used to look on Main Street and you could tell what the economy was going to be. Mm -hmm. But now you look and you don't see any of this. You either are in a gaming world or you're in the virtual world or you don't know what's going on. Absolutely. Am I right about that? You are absolutely right. And I must tell you that I vetted my story with two uh, millennials that were brilliant I worked with them at Jones Lang LaSalle. They were two brilliant uh, motion graphics designer. One was African-American, one was Caucasian. And I vetted this story for two years with them. And they said, you are on target. This is exactly the kind of, th this is the kind of uh, graphic novels we read. This is the, the kind of gaming we play. This is the kind of uh, movies that we love. Yeah. It's the kind of series that we want. So I knew I was onto something. And, uh, and, and since then, I've discovered that there are folks in Gen Z, the next generation after millennials, uh, who uh, they get it too. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it is a generational issue, although I have friends who are Gen X and boomers who are working in the gaming industry and also in, in Hollywood working with those uh, CGI animations that are using fractals and, and real, um, you know, Unreal Engine kind of backgrounds and things like that. This technology has taken over, and I did a TED talk about this where um, virtual gaming or what they call serious gaming is now going to be applied in the classrooms as a teaching tool. And so if you take those baby steps forward, you can start to see uh, the, the, the future is not going to look good for people who aren't working with technology. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so some of this your novel let's just say this it's it's therapeutic and it's also warning us of the future yes the way i think of it is uh it's 1984 for the uh 21st century mm. and it is a cautionary tale that i hope will wise up some folks so that we can avoid the future that i am dramatizing here it doesn't have to turn out the way it did in my book. I mean, we're not yet in Orwell's 1984 world, although it's getting a little scary because, uh, you know, authoritarian regimes are on the rise. Yeah. Uh, and we are also facing uh, global warming. And we've got about seven years to clean up our act or else our coastal cities will start going down, down, down into the ocean. So uh, that's kind of the way I, I think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you look at things right now, in the, and, and I'm a huge Star Trek fan as well as Star Wars, um, I started with Star Trek. My grandmother sat me in front of the TV in 1966, and we had just gotten a color TV. 
And if you know the difference between going from black and white to color, you're like, oh, yeah. you know, it was literally like Dorothy and the Wizards of Oz, you know, leaving the black and white world into right. the color world. Right. Uh, and I, so I want this really great future with technology. I, you know, I yearn for it. I love it. These cool devices. But with great technology also comes the ability to control people because yes. when the internet came along, we we were required to give up our privacy mm -hmm. and for the previous generation you know the silent generation and the boomers myself what started to happen was um we were giving up information to in the public domain that we would have never given to the, mm -hmm. our own government mm -hmm. just you know a, a quarter of a century a half century before and now we just hand everything over and that's the only way we can get into this you know Mm -hmm. open source platform and do you want to talk a little bit about that because yes privacy is over uh, privacy is over because it's it's kind of like uh this same author harari this historian i mentioned a minute ago also wrote a right. book called sapiens which is the history of uh how homo sapiens sapiens came to dominate the earth uh and he writes in there that when the agricultural revolution occurred and people stopped being hunter-gatherers and got landlocked into villages raising crops there was no turning back and right. so we uh, there's no turning back from the internet and if you watch that uh, very frightening prophetic video uh, on youtube it's about 24 minutes with elon musk he's saying it's too late to turn back from ai yeah sorry folks we've already made that call yeah. and uh you know, when I was at Jones Lang, Jones Lang LaSalle, they sent us out to uh, Las Vegas for the Adobe Max show. And Adobe is the software developer that does all of this amazing uh, uh, software for uh, advertising and, mm -hmm. and publishing and journalism. And they previewed their latest, greatest uh, VR technology. This was about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And you still needed a helmet, but they had an IMAX-sized screen behind uh, the speakers. Right. They showed us that it looks great now. I mean, you're there, uh, but you still need a helmet. But they said, hey, guess what, folks? In 15 or 20 years, you're not going to need a helmet. You're going to have total immersion. You're going to be in the movie, in the middle yeah. of the movie uh, or the, the series. It's going to be happening all around you, and you're going to be able to see, smell, taste. The touch and here. So that's what gave me the idea to imagine this regime, which puts a case spot over your third eye and through a satellite network of uh, AI technology, they can read your brain waves and they can also dispense uh, propaganda 24 seven. So it's much more effective than the telescreens in 1984, which you didn't have to watch when you were at work. But in this imagine future society they can broadcast through the uh the cloud monitor who is a nice pleasant female voice from the american midwest who's telling you how you live in the greatest regime on earth and it's improved over everything and you have no problems and you can also for say 60 percent of your annual paycheck subscribe to these total immersion vr movies uh, and or just experiences like you know if you want to have sex with your favorite uh, uh, media star, no problem. That can happen for you. So, you know, we think that we live in a virtual world now. Imagine what it could be like. 
and how enslaved we could become if it becomes so immersive that people would prefer to live always in that virtual world and the ruling regime can be packing our heads with propaganda. I think that there's a line in that same chapter where I say that the um, 24-7 uh, neural propaganda generates a, a level of mental compliance in cities as diverse as Shanghai, Sydney, and San Francisco. Hmm. So you can, and this regime rules half the world and they're fighting against the caliphate that were, rules the other half. So yeah, th uh, this is what could happen. Yeah. And human beings, unfortunately, tend to be very addictive. We tend yeah. to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Yeah. And it takes uh, real uh, moral fiber to say no to that and become a Mother Teresa or, or a, a Mahatma Gandhi uh, or, or somebody like that who resists or, those animal urges. <laughs> or a Genghis Khan. I hate to say the other Khan. side, you know, we go the other side, right? Which leads me to a very deep question. I, I think so, anyways. You know, with all this taking place, it, you know, they say the societies through time, through eons, either rise technologically or rise spiritually. You know, they don't seem to match. It's a rare moment in time mm -hmm. um, where we rise spiritually as well as technologically. Yes. And we are going into an era, folks, and I want you to really ponder this. And you just said it, Robert. I have a fear that the human race will stop evolving spiritually mm -hmm. and get hooked mm -hmm. into being pulled down into mm -hmm. this lower world, into a deeper, more dangerous level of viscosity and darkness and dirtiness and nastiness and all these things that you see came out of the dark web are going to become normalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is my concern. Are you concerned as well with this? I'm deeply concerned uh, at, about it. And the way I dramatize it in this book uh, is that in the cloud regime, all sacred texts have been deleted from all databases. There's no way you can find a copy of the Quran or the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or any other sacred text anywhere in the cloud because they the ruling regime, which is out of Hong Kong, which finally in the past figured out how to take over from the former communist regime and become the new capital of this mm -hmm. empire, uh, they've simply erased it from the databases. Now, what happens in the uh, during the course of the novel is that uh, Blaze is recruited by a group of hackers who are trying to overthrow the cloud and uh, the female protagonist, Christina, takes him to an underground city in a limestone cavern uh, below the Arizona desert, where they have been working for decades. And they've been selling nanobot technology to the caliphate to finance building this city. And one of the things they discovered, uh, this was decades ago, uh, Rome was one of the cities that was dirty bombed by the caliphate, which mm. created the space for the 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 cloud regime headquartered in hong kong former banking uh empire which then became a political uh empire uh, the rome was destroyed wow uh, vatican city was destroyed so 
what happened is the these hackers who are incredibly gifted, many of whom used to be virtual reality programmers for the cloud, discovered a server. And in that server were the blueprints to Sagrada Familia Cathedral, which is in Barcelona. And I had the honor of visiting Barcelona in 2017, and I stood inside it. And uh, it, it's like, it's like you're inside the mind of God. You look around, I and I, I looked around, there must have been five or 600 people there beside me. Mm. And I, I, I don't think I've seen that kind of awe since the first time I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. Uh, because you, you just, yeah. you're inside this liquid jewel. So what happens, the hackers look at that and they think something's going on here. We don't know what, because any, there, there's no text. All we have is this, this incredible structure. So they spend decades be, building a replica of it in Sagrada City, which is their underground city, and they go there to meditate. They don't know what they're meditating to. There's like an enormous God-sized hole in them because they're, uh, all spiritual traditions are erased. Mm. And it only, uh, it only uh, is fully it goes 360 degrees in the second two novels that I'm going to write. <laughs> so that's how I deal with it. Uh, nice tie-in. Uh, I love how, as you're describing this, you're almost describing it not as a novel or something you wrote, but this is the reality happening right now, yeah. uh, which is beautiful. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, go to thecloudnovel.com. Uh, Robert, uh, allows you to download four chapters that'll hook you in and then you can get the book. But this is a really, really powerful uh, not science fiction. I got to call it a science fiction novel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it really is participating in what is taking place right now. This, this fear that uh, we all have, and also the, some of the coolest stuff that we're seeing now, but as in any case, technology can be used for good or it can be used for darker nefarious you know reasons and that's what we're seeing right now but i want to talk about this this is the you know this is something that um is near and dear to me it has been covered in star trek a few times but when you have devices in your head that are telling you these things all the time those devices can also remove certain memories and the reason i'm talking about this is there was an episode of Voyager. I think it was Star Trek Voyager. They visited this planet where there was no life on it. It had been destroyed by a nuclear you know, war. Mm -hmm. And there was this group of people living under a dome that was created by technology. Well, when they got down there, they were, they were sort of stuck in an almost like, almost a Renaissance era. They, they had programmed this reality, this sort of holographic reality. Well, mm -hmm. they started to discover the crew of the Voyager. They started to discover that every time the computer simulation needed more uh, power because it was shrinking, its battery usage was going down, 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 it would just collapse the, the dome a little bit more. And this one guy lost his whole family and the, the computer reprogrammed his head to completely forget he had a wife and four kids. Wow. And they and the enterprise or the the Voyager crew had to explain to him, you know, you had a wife, you had a kid because they were fighting this. They were so addicted to the device because the device was on their head. 
and they were trying to get him to just remove it. This isn't reality. You're not being, and I kind of get that sometimes with this next generation, they've been taught differently. They've been trained differently and not all of it connects with uh, good things. Uh, they're being led down a path where it's almost like, no, 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 no. You're, this is going to become a totalitarian regime if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. So do, do you see that, that bigger picture uh, when you write? Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, that, that uh, awareness and that fear that what you just described could very well become a reality is what motivated me to tackle this project. Right. And I had written, I don't know, 14 or 15 screenplays. Uh, I lost my uh, writing partner and I had to decide what I wanted to write. And I happened to be working at this uh, Fortune 500 commercial real estate company. And it just became an urgent uh, need to uh, gel this story to address these issues that you've just described. Because it could very well be that attempt is, an attempt will be made. Uh, to erase all memories except those of the ruling regime. Yeah. The Soviet, uh, the Nazis tried it, uh, the Soviets tried it, and the Chinese now uh, have technology, surveillance technology, 24-7, this AI yeah. uh, generated, so that you walk down any street in any Chinese city and they will scan you if there's anything in your body language or your facial expression that suggests that you have traitorous thoughts, the secret police come in the night and take you away. And so those things are coming. And once virtual reality is paired with AI, uh, then it could become possible that you could have a direct neural feed. And then you've you've enslaved the minds of, of vast populations. Well, they can make you they can make you feel a certain way. And by the way, that's happening here in the U.S. as well. Uh, I had someone on the show who lived in China for a number of years, and he talked about how they would um, they would kill people and harvest their organs. And yeah. this is not a flight of fancy, you know. They, no. they were doing this with the Falongong uh, people uh, because they don't drink, they don't smoke, they have pure organs. So people were flying in with briefcases filled with cash to buy a new heart, <laughs> and they were like, okay. Um, so this is this is a reality here in the United States. If I mention the word Studebaker, nobody remembers Studebaker. So it's as simple as that as removing things from history. Uh, we we have areas where they're knocking down statues and everything, mm-hmm. rather than teaching people that dude was evil. He got a statue because he did this, this, and it. Rather than teaching history, they just want to knock it down. Well, now they can say whatever history they want to say. And my getting back to global warming. I have this pet peeve of mine about global warming, and that is this. Back in the 70s, all the big corporations that were dumping chemicals in the rivers and actually causing all the pollution, and even Coca-Cola and DuPont, they all got together, and they decided to hire a PR agency to now place the blame on you and I. That we're we are you know litter bugs. <laughs> that was a term an advertising agency came up with, and it absolved them of anybody looking any deeper. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening today. The exact same playbook for global warming. 
I don't harm the environment. You know, I do my best to clean up and do stuff. But guess what? The corporations that are overfishing, the corporations that are dumping chemicals in our ocean, the corporations that are spraying our skies, you know, and, and even jet propulsion technology and military and NASA, none of them are involved in this conversation. And they're the ones who are putting out the vast amount of pollutants into the air. Mm -hmm. And so now what is turning, uh, everybody's turning around and going, you see you, you carbon-based life form, you owe us money. You owe us money. That's my argument. It's like, come on. It's, it's brilliant. That's that's such a brilliant insight. You know uh, let's get back to this. And this, I was talking to you about this in the green room before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, I've noticed a pattern in my guests lately, and that is creativity creativity has been at the forefront of everything. So we have Matt Bush coming out um, and he's a, a, an, an official Star Wars artist who has worked with George Lucas. We had Amelia Antonetti, who is in the behavioral field, and she came up with the, this way to awaken the genius in a person. And then we have um, Renee Marina. Uh, she, um, her first movie, she, she sang on Broadway in uh, Jersey Boys, her first movie, she works with Clint Eastwood and Christopher Walken, and we talk all about oh. that stuff. I mean, it's just been, I've noticed that everybody is getting more creative these days, or at least embracing their creative nature. And I believe it's one of our gifts from God. You know, our creative nature is the one thing oh. that separates us from everybody else. And it doesn't matter if you're a scientist, an author, artist, whatever. I think everybody's working in creativity constantly. And I want to ask you, you know, you were working these corporate jobs and you were being creative for the corporate, for the man, you know, <laughs> for the man keeping you down mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to make a living. But there was something innate in you that was driving you that said, hey, I have to write a, a, a science fiction novel or I have to do something far more creative that isn't just earning me money. Absolutely. So let's start there. What is, what is driving you, man? I want to know. Uh, a couple of things. We're... Uh, uh... One is uh, coming to terms with my mortality mm. and having a burning desire to leave uh, this earth better than I found it in some way uh, and wanting to take my God-given talents and use them in a way that benefits humanity instead of further tearing it down or devolving it. Uh, that, that's, right. that's one thing. And secondly... Uh, it, it's extremely important for me to be able to connect with other creative people who are on a similar path and find ways that we can all collaborate, work together and create win-win-win scenarios, which will then in turn create opportunities for other creative people. Hmm. And I, I should mention to you that at the moment, uh, I and uh, Ken Achety, are uh, in negotiations with a uh, Hollywood producer, uh, formerly with Paramount, formerly with Tyler Perry uh, Studios. And I won't mention his name because nothing is finalized, but I will say that we're, we found in our Zoom call yesterday, we finally crossed that bridge of trust uh, that uh, is going to enable us to get a working partnership here. And uh, I also have a dear friend, Bob Littell, 
he is the chief net weaver. And if you go to netweavinginternational.com, you'll find there he has applied throughout his adult life the pay it forward principle to business. Mm. He introduced me to this producer, and then he introduced uh, the producer to Ken Ashity. And the four of us now are like the four musketeers. And I'm I'm actually going up to to a lunch at uh, Big Canoe tomorrow. Bob Latell lives up there. It's about 40 miles north of Atlanta. Beautiful uh, uh-huh. mountain community. And we're going to meet up there. And it, it's just one of the things I talked about with this producer Wednesday. We went to lunch together. I took him to lunch because he's I've written a a um, pilot script, a 60 minute pilot script for the series. Mm-hmm. And he came in and said, look, this is great stuff. Your novel is great. But let me tell you, don't feel that the novel uh, is is going to limit you. You can actually um, front load that pilot episode with uh, a lot that comes out of the novel later. And remember, mm-hmm. in a novel, you've got room. You've right. got room to slowly build a story. but." If you want people to sit through 13 or 14 episodes of that first season, you better knock their socks off in episode Take one. Take them awake, right? <laughs> yeah. So I am going back and overhauling. And I love that. You know, the 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 pleasure of what's difficult. Nothing turns me on more than that. Yeah. And, and he's helping. He's going to help. He got so excited about it. And he says, look, I want to partner with you. And I want to partner with you on this. And I want to partner with you on other things. He's got three uh, feature films. And development, uh, an idea that he thought of uh, that he would like to partner with me on. So all I can say is, and, and we both talked about how we really want to create opportunities for other artists. Uh, launching a TV series creates jobs and opportunities for hundreds of people. And that's what I want to try to do with my time remaining. That was a long answer to a short question. <laughs> God bless you, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just, I eat up anything that is science fiction or fantasy related. You, my girlfriend and I, this is why we're together. She loves all the Marvel stuff. And we, when she mm-hmm. first started dating me, she noticed I have a hardback copy of Dune by Frank Herbert yeah. on, on the side of my bed. And she's like, she doesn't like to read. She's a little bit younger than me. She's, it's not that she doesn't like to read. It's that she's been trained more in technology. So yeah. she got the audio version, which I was so impressed with. And we started listening to, to it on our long walks at night when we walked the dog. And so, you know, there's this, this common thread, I think, that humanity is going through right now where they're awakening. That's why I called the show Awakened Nation um, to something greater, something better. Um, I'm not talking about being woke. I'm talking about awakening to how can I step in and make the change? How can I be the person who can bring these four other people together and go, holy crap, we can make something beautiful here that can benefit so many people. You know, uh, I admire you, man. I take my hat off to what you're doing. How do we get a hold of you if we need to uh, contact you and, uh, you know, uh, say hello? I know we we should go to thecloudnovel.com, but yes. anything else? Any other yeah, places? There's, uh, there's a there's a blog page there where, where you can contact me. I also have an Amazon author page. Uh, I, I have a Goodreads author page, mm-hmm. uh, but anybody who would like to contact me directly, uh, my 
uh, email address is Bob the Writer, B O B T H E W R I T, at hotmail.com. And I'm always thrilled to talk to anybody who's on a simpatico wavelength and wants to share in the journey because this is a journey as you just pointed out yeah. it's not it's not just about me it's about all of us yeah and what kind of legacy we would like to leave behind us because we're at a crucial crossroads in history and we'd better figure out creative ways to uh, reach out to each other to touch each other and to motivate each other and that's precisely what i'm planning to do with this novel and the two novels that follow and uh my literary manager ken Atchity, is also planning to turn this into a franchise good well ken Atchity is a smart person along with you um, you have a good partner there so thank you wonderful. along with elizabeth elizabeth too ladies and gentlemen robert rivenbark um reach out to him connect uh he's another creative person and a sensitive soul like most creatives like myself um who sees the bigger picture for humanity and has a love for all of us and hopes and prays we don't go down a certain path i, uh, hope, so. I hope so <laughs> yeah keeping our fingers crossed brother so uh this is the lightning round you ready you re yes ready sir for the <laughs> i'm ready <laughs> i'm gonna ask you a series of questions that our guests will get to know you better from. Mm -hmm. And so my first question is, what is it about you? Is there something about you that you do that no one knows you do? Uh, yeah, I would say I, I'm one of those people that was uh, born with a sixth sense, a deeply intuitive sense that enables me to connect I won't call it a, on a, on a psych, psychic level, but it's pretty close to that in the sense that uh, I, I think of many men restrict themselves to the five senses and to uh, working out problems and issues and challenges with Aristotelian logic. Mm -hmm. I can do that part, but I am able to use both hemispheres of my brain if that's even, I don't even know if that's a current way of thinking about it. Yeah. But uh, the the analytical uh, and and uh, logical side of my brain works hand in glove with the intuitive side of the brain, which I think, generally speaking, women are, tend to be more evolved in that yeah. uh, area. But I, I I think it was probably the relationship I had with my mom uh, and my grandmother growing up, who were deeply intuitive people and. Yeah. I think that's something that people don't wouldn't notice right away because they look at me and think, oh, he's a guy. And furthermore, he's a white guy. So we know all about him. <laughs> he's the source of all evil in the world. <laughs> you you and your privilege. Um, <laughs> you and I have something in common because I, I grew up with that intuitive nature and um, got beat up because of it. You know, because yep. you can see it in the eyes, the sensitivity. Um, I can read people pretty darn fast and, uh, I can see that in you. Um, and I use that skill on my show. You know, most people, after they sit down, they go, I have friends calling me up and go, how long have you known that person? I'm like an hour. <laughs> you know, and They're like, how do you do that? And it's like, that's an innate ability that I got from my yeah. grandfather and my mother, mm -hmm. this ability that's intuitive. It's a hundred percent. Um, mm -hmm. it's in, it's in us. And I think this is the modern man. You know, when they talk about toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity to me 
is when men um, treat women horribly uh, and uh, just, you know, like believe they're above it all, don't have to deal with stuff. There is uh, such a thing as uh, left and right brain balance. But I um, also believe spiritually, how evolved and mature are you as soul? You know, what, what level are you at? And you're obviously at that, that higher, and I don't mean to use higher or lower levels. That's, that's not really the gain here. It's more like positive or negative on a battery, you know, kind of thing. Um, what is your charge? What is your megahertz? Are you vibrating high? Are you vibrating a little bit below that? And I think those of us who vibrate at that high level, we have been given the gift to see certain things. Yes. And to see those certain things, it's like, whoa, okay. And um, call it yin and yang, masculine and feminine. Every single one of us, despite having a physical body that, let's say, is a man's body, um, some of us have a much larger part of us that has the feminine qualities in there. And I'm not taking. I'm not saying feminine as in woman. I'm saying the the oh, nurturing right. energies, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. things that make us uh, good fathers, good mm-hmm. partners who mm-hmm. listen to women, who can connect mm-hmm. to women at a much deeper level. And I see that in you. I saw that the moment we started talking. So, Oh, awesome. wonderful. You're, you're, you're one of those guys evolved, yeah. ready to go for the next level. Thank you. So my, my second question is, what is the ultimate dream person you would love to work with? I, I would say uh, the ultimate dream person I would like to work with is a filmmaker who is operating on that intuitive level that you just described. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, you know, I can go on, you know, I've probably got 20 novels in me. I've yeah. got three that are outlined pretty uh, uh, completely. But there, I feel like uh, film, well, I call it film, it's more like like digital, uh, visual uh, communications yeah. can reach an even vaster audience. And I would love to uh, get a long-term partnership with somebody in that arena so that I, we could become the new Coen brothers, so to speak. Oh, that would be great with yeah. that quirky sense of humor and a little bit mm-hmm. of fun in there and uh, mm-hmm. silliness. Yeah. yeah. Every one of their movies has just taken off. I, 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 there, there was a five or 10 year period where if a Coen brother movie was coming out, you ran to see it. You just went out and you said, Oh, I got to see this. Cause Absolutely. you need to laugh. And, and the two, the two guys, uh, the two Daniels that uh, scripted and directed, everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. they are kind of emerging as a new Cohen brothers team so oh, nice. i i love that uh because i don't i don't have the um uh you know like unlike james cameron i'm not a self-taught engineer right create uh, avatar with an army of cgi artists uh i would love to partner with somebody who has that technical background in filmmaking uh, that I could marry with my storytelling skills. And we could get to a point where we're just completing each other's sentences and, and doing amazing work that really moves people, knocks their socks off and changes the way they look at the world. That's, that would be my ideal. 
that that man i'm sitting here getting goosebumps because if it, i'm praying for that to happen man you you know how the law of attraction works just keep oh, yeah. sitting in that loving it and going yeah that's my future <laughs> absolutely awesome. and uh my last question is do you have a favorite memory oh gosh there's so many but i'm going to tell you one that pops up uh right away and it was actually a dream i had when i was 19 years old and had flunked out of college and moved to new york city mm -hmm. and was living with a buddy from my hometown in south georgia and i had this incredible dream uh in which i was standing on a beach and there were these enormous uh coastal uh, rugged looking uh, rock formations in front of me and the sun was very bright and I heard this exquisite voice, a feminine voice, singing in a language I'd never heard before. And around the corner of this rock, right off the coast, and I must have been looking out in a lagoon, was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And she's standing in the proudest boat under the sail, and she's singing. Kind of like singing to the universe and i woke up and it was only five years later when i was an undergraduate at the university of georgia i stumbled across uh, uh botticelli's uh, birth of venus and mm -hmm. i just discovered that i had dreamt uh the birth of venus without even knowing who it was oh wow <laughs> You might have been Botticelli in a past life, my friend. Could have been. <laughs> Tap it into a little <laughs> lot of detail there. Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. Permanisciary dream, I guess they call it. Uh, yeah. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, please reach out to Robert. Uh, he is an extraordinary human being. I love where you're going with this. I also love what you care about. And I've heard that in this interview. What you love and what you care about is incredibly important. And it drives your why, as Simon Sinek Absolutely. says, what drives your why. So, ladies and gentlemen, go to thecloudnovel.com. Uh, reach out to Robert Rivenbark. Uh, he is um, a talented individual, man. I, I am incredibly honored that you came to do the show. Well, thank um, you. Thank you. You. Can, you can click through to Amazon to get your copy of the book from uh, the website. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in next week for another extraordinary guest here on Awakened Nation. And Robert, thank you so much. I feel blessed that you're on the show today. Thank you, my friend. I feel the same way towards you, Brad. Take care. Take care. Let's let's I, stay in touch. Absolutely, man. We're going to. Uh, right. I have people you need to meet. <laughs> okay. Sounds Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay, got it. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.